So we're in the midst of an Advent sermon series called The Weary World Rejoices. Uh, That is a line in a hymn, a Christmas hymn, O Holy Night. We'll be singing that uh, next week for Christmas Eve. And uh, what I take away from this is that I think in the world of Jesus, first world, uh, first century, uh, back in Israel, that the people who lived there were weary for many reasons. And they needed some good news. They needed some hope. They needed a reason to rejoice and be joyful. And I think that many of us in our world today understand the feeling of weariness. We carry a great weight on us in in many different ways and that we are looking forward to rejoicing in the midst of being weary. And so my goal is to draw some parallels between Jesus' day and our day in ways that we have been feeling weary. Last week we talked about being weary of waiting that many of us are waiting for different things to happen in our lives, even being weary of waiting on God to act in our lives. If you missed that discussion, I invite you to check that out on the website. There's reason to rejoice that the wait is over, that God is with us, and that God is at work in your life, even if you're not able to see it yet. And so today we continue in that conversation of being weary, but having something to look forward to, to rejoice. And part of what we do each Christmas is that uh, we want to give Jesus a birthday present. Because it is, after all, Jesus' birthday. It's great that you and I get presents, and I hope you get a lot of great presents. And have a great Christmas, and I'm going to give some and hopefully receive some and all that good stuff. But, you know, we always ask the question, why do we get gifts on Jesus' birthday? Shouldn't he be getting gifts? And if so, what do you get Jesus? Because he has everything because he's God, and he doesn't really need anything. And So our tradition is to give Jesus a gift by making a financial contribution that we share with two local ministries or two charities uh, that we're connected to, and that's our gift is to, hey, Jesus, we love you. We're going to support your ministry in this way, and we we receive an offering for Christmas, and we give 100% of it away, and we split that right down the middle between the two ministries, the two charities. And so last week I introduced to you... Uh, We're going to be supporting Bright Blessings. Uh, They're housed in Matthews. They serve Mecklenburg, Union County, and three other counties around us. And they're in ministry with community. Uh, The other one that we're going to be supporting is uh, is our ministry that we have in Bayonne, Haiti. Uh, In the midst of uh, the chaos in Haiti, there's no government that's ruled by gangs, and it's a very difficult place to live, and a lot of people are starving, and whoever has the most or the biggest guns is making all the rules. And yet in the midst of the hills of Haiti, there is a church and there's a school with 2,500 kids and there's a medical clinic that we help support to be an oasis in the midst of all this pain and tragedy. And their pastor, Pastor Actionel Florisma, was with us a few weeks ago uh, and he said there's two things that we can do. We can help support uh, the students of the school. There's like 689 students who are sponsored by people in America, and our church sponsors 68 students so they can get an education, the teachers can get paid, and they get a a hot meal. For most of the kids, it's the only meal that they get during the day. Um, And Pastor Actionel said, in addition to that, if we could just provide money for food, uh, because 2,500 kids, only 689 are sponsored, and so there are a lot of kids that are not sponsored. uh, And so the children of Haiti are waiting to be fed, and they're weary of being hungry. And so that is the other uh, ministry that we're supporting. I just want to show you a brief video uh, that shows you what's going on here. Just three years ago, 25 tents would feed a student at the ICD school. As a result of all the political instability in the country, that same meal of rice and beans now costs 50 cents. To feed the students at the school for just one day, 
So this Christmas, we have an opportunity to help a child not have to be worried of waiting to eat, right? So you give a dollar, that's going to feed two kids a meal. Um, so the way I think about it is when I go out to eat with my kids and we go to like Chick-fil-A and spend like 40 bucks on a meal, right? That could be what, 80, 80 meals, right? So if we make a sacrifice of one meal, just imagine what we can do as a congregation to help these children uh, who are weary of being hungry. So just something to think and pray about. Again, bright blessings, uh, and also uh, our ministry in Haiti. Well, I want to shift gears into uh, the message today and think about what we might be weary of um, and confess one of my less than great moments. So a couple of Saturdays ago, I was getting over COVID. Uh, thank you guys for your prayers. Got through that okay. Uh, I've been tired, and I was sitting downstairs with my wife, Laura, our son, Nathan, and our dog, Bella, uh, my son, older son, Luke, was at basketball practice, but the rest of us were on the couch, and we finally just had a moment together, no school or work, and just no sickness, just trying to hang out on Saturday morning, and we were watching uh, the new Christmas movie uh, that's called Diary of a Wimpy Kid Christmas, and so uh, we, were, we were making a new tradition, enjoying that, uh, and we just gotten settled down, and here's this knock on our door, and uh, our dog... She's a watchdog. She gets up, she starts barking, she's going to the door. And so I get up to go because we have some kids that live next door and they usually knock on the door rather than ring the doorbell. And so I pick Bella up, crack the door open, and, and I noticed it wasn't the kids next door. It was two men that I didn't know. So, you know, I'm a little wary, right? In our neighborhood, we have signs at the beginning, at the front of the neighborhood that says no solicitation. You know, you're not allowed to go house to house doing things, trying to sell things. And um, sometimes people don't understand that solicitation is simply making a request or an ask. I had someone come one time, try to give me literature for a political candidate, and I said, hey, look, there's no solicitation. He's like, I'm not soliciting. I'm not selling anything. I'm like, you're soliciting my vote. All right, so I thought about printing on a little card what the definition of solicitation is <laughs> so that when they hand me their stuff, I'll hand them my stuff <laughs> and say, uh, read up on this uh, vocabulary lesson. So anyway... Two guys standing outside my door. I'm not feeling good. I want to be on the couch with my family. And uh, the guy says, hey, I'm so-and-so. This is my son. He's like a teenage guy. They're all dressed really nice. And, um, and he wants to hand me a pamphlet. And he says, I'd like to invite you to a Bible study. Right? <laughs> and he's just walked by in our, in our yard, literally a life-size nativity scene. We've got Mary and Joseph and Jesus in the manger. And he's probably thinking, wow, you know, this person's probably a Christian, might be open to Bible study. Uh, I'm going to give them a, a try. And I'm thinking, you know, if I've got a life-size nativity in my, in my yard, probably going to church. <laughs> and you don't need to ring my bell. Ring somebody else's bell, right? So just, I'm like, all right, you know, no thank you. you know, I'm, I'm good. Um, and just, you know, FYI, this is a no solicitation community. You might, you know, be wary that you might run into some opposition here, and a, a 
switch just flipped in him. He went from being super nice, inviting me to Bible study, to saying, I can be here. And I thought he was going to bring out the Constitution. By gosh, I can be here, and here's where it says in the Constitution. Like, it turned political like that. And I'm thinking, well, you're not going to get many people to come to your Bible study if that's how you're going to be treating them. Right? And so I said, no, you can't be here. He said, yes, I can be here. No, you can't be here. Yes, I can be here. So we're, we're, we're reverting to kindergarten <laughs> in my front yard. I can be here. No, you can't. I can be here. No, you can't. I said, you know what you can do? You can get the heck off my property. And he said, okay. And I really wanted to give him the Home Alone speech. You guys know what that Home Alone speech is? I'll give you the count of 10 to get your ugly, yellow, no good keister off my property, right, before I pump your guts full of lead. I'm glad I didn't say that because I'd be in jail right now for threatening to shoot someone, which I would never do, right? So I walk back in, and Nathan and Laura are looking at me like, what just happened, right? The pastor of a church... And a guy inviting him to a Bible study almost got in a fight. <laughs> if that's the case, we're in some real trouble in America. Right? Today I want to talk about division and being weary of division. Right? That was not my best moment, and I'm not proud of that. Right? I appreciate you guys giving me some moral support in that. But seriously, like I almost got in a fight with a guy trying to invite me to a Bible study. I'm a pastor, right? There is some major division in our nation, in our world, and I don't know about you, but I'm weary of it. Uh, I'm tired of it. Right? There, there's, there's division in our nation. Right? There's racial and there's uh, ethnic division, right? black, white, yellow, brown. Uh, there's division between male and female and transgender. There's division between heterosexual and homosexual. There's division between rich and poor. There's division between conservative and liberal, Democrat and Republican, left and right. Uh, there's division over what we need to do with guns and abortion and gun control and immigration. And it's just going to get worse as the election comes next year. Right? We, we have so much division. Uh, I went to a local sporting event not too long ago, and uh, the two schools were so against each other with bad blood uh, that they sent out stuff from the, the conference that says, okay, this group's going to go on the visiting side. This group's going to go on the home side. You're going to park in different parts of the parking lot. One will arrive at this time. The other will arrive at this time. So we went, and some people from the other school came to our side. The police escorted them to the other side. Right? After the game, they said, you're going to leave early. You're going to leave later. Right? Would you believe that this was for a sixth-grade playoff football game in our community? They're worried the parents are going to beat the heck out of each other over a sixth-grade football game. What is wrong with us? Right? What, what's going on with the division in our nation? It's not any better in the world. Right? We look around the world. We see Russia and the Ukraine. We see Israel and Gaza. Uh, we see uh, China and Taiwan. We see in Africa all these nations in civil war and having all these coups. Um, we see the caste system in India. We see gangs ruling in Haiti, gangs in Mexico. We see gangs in America. Right? We go back in history, and, and all over the world, people are fighting each other, killing each other. Europeans killing Europeans. Africans killing Africans. Asians killing Asians. Middle Easterners killing Middle Easterners. South Americans killing South Americans. Right? As far back as history goes, we just, 
there's a division among people, among people who are different than us, who, are, who we don't like. Um, you know, I think America, we've been lucky because of our geography. There's not a lot of people around us to fight. And so we've, we've been able to become a superpower because we're, our geography is just, you know, dumb luck or whatever. Like there's, there's division everywhere. There's, there was division in Jesus' day, right, right before he was born. We talked some about this last time. Right, Israel was ruled by Romans uh, from another country. They've been ruled by other countries for 700 years. They, they didn't like that. Their, their neighbors below them, Egypt, sometimes were friends, sometimes were enemies. Uh, there was division between Jewish people and Gentiles, people who were not Jewish. Uh, there was also division with the Samaritans. That was Jewish people who married Gentile people, were considered to be half-breeds. And the Jewish people and the Samaritans hated each other. Right? So ethnic... Uh, a religious division, even within the religion of Judaism, uh, there, was, there was division. The Sadducees and the Pharisees didn't get along with each other. These different types of rulers wanting power, wanting control. Uh, men and women division, rich and poor division. Uh, division between regions from Galilee to Judea to Samaria. Even division in Jesus' 12 disciples. They used to get in debates and arguments over which one of them was the greatest. I'm the greatest disciple. I'm the one that needs to sit with Jesus on his right side, right? The side of honor, right? So there's all this division from the very beginning of time to today. And I'm guessing you're like me, we're weary of it. And we don't know what to do about it, right? Well, where does the division come from? I'll offer two ideas. I think one reason that we have division is because as human beings, as great as it is to be created in the image of God, we also make some dumb decisions, and all of us have some kind of brokenness in our lives. We experience guilt. We experience shame. Right? We're scared of things. We feel underappreciated. We feel jealous. Uh, we feel excluded. We feel that we have power, that someone's trying to take the stuff that we have. Right? And so all of us have some kind of brokenness inside of us, and we react to that by projecting it on other people and we, we blame everything on other people, and we're mad, right? So we're, we're, we're broken as people, and that divides us, right? I think another reason that we're divided is that we just don't love each other like God wants us to. Right? We, we don't love quite as much as God would want us to love. And, and Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the first letter of chapter 13, you, you hear a lot at weddings and stuff. Paul says, you can have everything in the world, but without love, you have so I think we're divided because we're broken, we're hurt, we're ashamed, and we want to cast that out on someone else, and we're just not loving like God calls us to love, right? weary of division. But the rejoicing part is, that's exactly why Jesus came, because he wants to unite us. He wants to bring healing. He wants to bring healing to our brokenness. I want to look at a, a passage uh, from Isaiah. It's a prophecy about Jesus. Again, we talked about this last week. It's probably about 700 years before Jesus is going to show up, and the people of Israel are looking for a Messiah. They're looking for hope. And this is what Jesus is going to do for people. Let's look at, at Isaiah 61.1 here. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Right? How are you broken in your life? Jesus has been sent to bind up our broken hearts, our broken lives. Jesus is coming to, to, to fix the brokenness. He, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. How many of us are sad and grieving? Jesus came to comfort us and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And so Jesus is called to do all these things, to bind us up, to bring us together, to give us joy, to give us hope in the midst of brokenness and division. So when Jesus comes as an adult, one of the first things that he does is he goes to his hometown of Nazareth and he teaches and he preaches there in a local synagogue. as a place where religious people gathered. And, and he's reading this passage of scripture from 700 years ago. And he's going to say to the people, this scripture has come true in me. Okay, let's see what, what happens here. All right, so we'll be in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 21 through 22. Jesus began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Right, that, that Isaiah passage just read you. Right? I'm here to bind you up. I'm here to help you. I'm, I'm here to do all these things. Right? And so all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Right? The Messiah is here in our presence, waited 700 years, and he's a local guy? Right? This is awesome. This is Joseph's son. He's the Messiah. Right? So there's this hope in the midst of this weariness of division and brokenness. But then Jesus sticks his foot in his mouth, or at least according to them, but not according to God. Right? So Jesus says, yeah, I've come to do this, not just for the people of Israel, but for the Gentiles, the non-Jews, right? for the whole world. Right? And so the people who are the audience, the people of Israel are hearing this, and they're like, hmm, I don't know if I like that Jesus, and this is what they decide to do. Right? All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. Right? You came not just for us, but for everyone? Right. They got up, they drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. They were going to kill Jesus and throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. They were ready to be healed. They were ready for their brokenness to be taken away until they found out that Jesus was not just going to do it for them, but for their enemies. And they're like, no way we're going to let that happen. And, it, and they were so divided they wouldn't receive the healing of Jesus, they wanted to throw him off of a cliff. And we know eventually they're going to get him, right? They're going to crucify him because his word is so good, but it's hard for those of us who are broken to hear it. I'm going to read another passage of Scripture uh, about Jesus in a completely different context, um, but it, it speaks to what we're talking about today. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. Right? America, world, we need to heed this. Right? Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. United we stand, divided we fall. Right? Patrick Henry said that version of it, but we see it in Jesus. Right? So I think one thing is we think about being weary of division, maybe we can do the real work of looking inside of us. Like, what's broken in me that I'm taking out on someone else? What, what pain am, am I wrestling with that, that I've not fixed and I'm, I'm sending it to someone else? I want to show you some quotes. And these are, well, this is just warning. They're going to sound really touchy-feely, so just hang on, okay? But I, I think they're true. Hurting people hurt people. If you're hurting... You're going to hurt someone else. You're going to transfer it, maybe intentionally and maybe subconsciously. I know a, I know a, I know a kid who hates his life 
He hates everything about it. And it's his mission in life to make everyone around him miserable. And some of it is intentional and some of it just comes from being such a broken person that all he does is, is hurt other people. Hurting people hurt people. All right, let's keep the next one. But healing people help people. Jesus has been good to me. Someone else was good to me. I like this feeling. And instead of hurting other people, I want them to experience the goodness that I've experienced, and I want to help other people get better. Maybe it's an addiction that we're battling. Maybe it's a relationship issue. Maybe it's a physical thing, right? When we're being healed, we can help other people heal. And then loving people love people. I've received unconditional love from God or unconditional love from my family or unconditional love from my church. This feels amazing. I might not even deserve it, but I, I have it. And so I would like someone else to feel this way as well, right? To share the love of Christ with others. I love this quote. This is not original for me, and I don't know who originally said it, but I think it's powerful. If you do not transform your pain, you will transfer your pain. I want you to think about that. You can also substitute brokenness in here. If you don't transform your brokenness, you will transfer your brokenness. If we don't fix what's broken in us and we feel bad about ourselves, we're going to take it out on someone else. My gosh, if I'm miserable, you're going to be miserable. Right? I'm miserable. It's not my fault. It's your fault. Right? You took my job. You took my spot. Right? You took my place. I'm going to blame you for my brokenness rather than doing the work of what's happening in our hearts. Right? We don't transform our pain. We transfer our pain. And that's why Jesus came, right? to bind up our broken hearts, to bind up our brokenness, right? to forgive us when we make mistakes, to love us when other people fail us or hurt us, to help us forgive other people, right? And so that's the good news of, of the gospel, right? Is that Jesus came so that we could be forgiven and he takes our pain and our brokenness and our separation and our sin and our shame and he, and he replaces it with joy and peace and forgiveness and love and life to the full. Right? What pain is in your life that you might be transferring to other people, right? And how can you invite God to come in and transform that pain? And maybe it's a spiritual pain. Maybe it's a pain that you need to see a counselor about or talk to a pastor. Right? What is it that could be dividing relationships because there's something broken inside of you? As we think about human beings, I think we'd probably all agree that it's our tendency that, that we want to be surrounded by people who care for us and are similar to us. And so you can look throughout history and, and humans, we gather together in groups and usually we gather together in groups with people we have things in common with. It can be a group, it can be a team. Sometimes people use the word tribe. Uh, and so we, we, we gather ourselves together in these groups. And when we do that, good things happen, but sometimes bad things happen. Our group becomes a group that's against another group, that's against another group. And so instead of individual division, it becomes group division. And we, and we see that in all those things that I talked about at the beginning of the message. And so another thing that Jesus does when he comes, when he's born and when he grows up and he becomes an adult, right, is he talks about how we need to expand our vision. We need to expand our tribe. We need to expand our team, expand our group, that we're all part of something bigger than our small groups and our individual selves. Let's look at this and what we have in the gospel. This is Matthew 3. This is talking about Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. His job was to prepare people for Jesus coming into the world to do ministry. 
In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, that's the northern part of Israel, and saying, or southern part of Israel, and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Right? Turn away from your wrong living, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Right? So now we're going to fast forward uh, to Jesus, and Jesus is in his ministry, and see what he says, right? Luke 17 once, on being asked by the Pharisees, those are religious leaders, religious lawyers, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. So John says, get ready, the kingdom of God is coming, the kingdom of heaven is coming. And Jesus says, you want to know where the kingdom is? Can you point? That's the kingdom of heaven. That's the kingdom of God. Right? Jesus says, the kingdom of God is in your midst, which means Jesus is the kingdom. Right? When Jesus came into the world, he brought with him the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God is with us now, partially. Right? So the kingdom of God is with us. When Jesus comes back at the end of time, it's going to come in complete fullness but what it means is those of us who follow Jesus, who love Jesus, we are part of something bigger than South Park. We're part of something bigger than North Carolina. We're part of something bigger than the United States. We are part of the kingdom of God. We are citizens of the greater kingdom. That kingdom is here. And that kingdom was threatening to the religious leaders of Jesus' day and to the Roman leaders of Jesus' day. That's a big reason that they killed him. They thought he was trying to take over politically and militarily. But his kingdom is different. His kingdom is about love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and self-control. It's about praying for those who persecute us and loving our enemies, turning the other cheek. All that stuff in Matthew chapter 5 that's really hard for us to take is about the kingdom of God, that you and I are citizens of a greater kingdom, right? And so for the Christians in Russia, the Christians in Africa, the Christians in Australia, right? For the people who are ringing your door that are solicitors and follow Jesus, the people who are sitting on the other side of the football stadium cheering against your team, if they follow Jesus, that's the primary allegiance, right? That's what makes God so sad. Right? When countries go to war, it, it's sad that anyone dies, right? but Christians killing Christians in the name of a, an ideology or a flag, right? we're getting it out of order. Right? Let's see what, what Paul teaches us in Philippians 3. But our citizenship is in heaven, right? and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? I'm proud to be an American citizen. I love it. I love this country. It's a great country. It's not perfect. We have freedom. But before I'm an American, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a member of the kingdom of God. That is the primary allegiance. And so when I'm at that football game and I'm yelling at a family member on the other team who's cheering for his kid, I've got to remember that's a follower of Jesus. And we're brothers and sisters before, no matter what happens on the football field. Right? No matter what happens ringing the doorbell, that kind of stuff. Right? We need to begin to think about that. And Jesus pushes it even further. Not just followers of Jesus, but everyone in the world can be a member of the kingdom of God because we're all children of God. We're all children of God. Red, yellow, black, white, African, Armenian, right? Australian, Democrat, Republican. Right? So again, before I'm a Democrat, before I'm a Republican, before I'm a liberal, before I'm a conservative, I'm a follower of Jesus. 
Now, we're not going to agree. We're not going to get along. And there's Christians uh, who think differently. But what we should be doing is doing that in love and forgiveness and not violence and not division. It's the way that we treat each other that sets us apart. So I want to let you think about this quote here. I think we're divided because our allegiance is out of order. I think that we're divided because our allegiance is out of order. My school against your school. My color against your color. My country against your country. My sexuality against your sexuality. We're divided because we let all that stuff take precedence over Jesus. And that we are first citizens of the kingdom of God here and now. I just invite you to begin to think about people that drive you crazy, that are absolutely thinking differently than you, to think, hey, one, that might be a follower of Jesus, and if not, that is a child of God. And how can I agree to disagree with them in a way that's more Christ-like than to be mean and divisive? So what's the point today? What's the big idea? What's the takeaway? I think it, what we saw in, in Luke's gospel, united we stand, divided we fall. United we stand, divided we fall. And I think that happens every level in the world. All right, so I invite you to think about doing three things. One would be let God transform your pain so that you don't transfer your pain. What's broken? Right? Are you jealous? Are you bitter? You feel unappreciated? You feel that you don't have power? Are you wrestling with guilt or shame? being left out? What is it that hurts you that you might be passing on to someone else? Turn to Jesus and say, God, help me with my pain. Help me with my brokenness, right? I'm I'm weary of this stuff. I'm ready for the hope and the peace and the love and the forgiveness. I want the good stuff, God, right? Transform me, God, right? Second thing would be to lead with love, right? And by love, I don't mean that you have to feel warm and fuzzy about everybody, uh, but the way that we treat people is self giving like Jesus gave of himself that we love with our actions right Jesus said love your enemies pray for those who persecute you what does that look like in your life and then finally expand your tribe remember that we are citizens of God's kingdom first right we are citizens of the kingdom before we're citizens of our schools our teams our nations our companies right expand your tribe right we're part of a bigger group we're a bigger group when the kingdom of god comes first so i've really been doing a lot of thinking about how i should have handled the bible study guide differently and and this is what i came to um and i can't go back in time so hopefully i'll know this the next time someone rings my bell who's a solicitor i'll be friendlier to them to say hey man i appreciate you coming here today Obviously, you see that I have a nativity scene in my yard. Uh, I love the Lord. I'm part of a church. I'm actually a pastor. And I appreciate your heart inviting me to come to Bible study. Thank you for what you're doing for the Lord. Um, Just need to let you know, in our neighborhood, it's no soliciting. And you're probably going to receive some real resistance today. Um, And you might even rethink about how you're doing evangelism. If someone's saying that they don't want you here... How else might you get the gospel in, into their hands? Because I've done door-to-door evangelism, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, right? But hey, man, I appreciate your heart. I wish you the best and your son the best, um, and good day to you. Right? That would have been a much different conversation if I wasn't tired 
irritable, had a chip on my shoulder about solicitation, felt that he was going political in his speech, right? I'm a pastor. He's a Bible study guy. We should be citizens of the same kingdom. That should have been the first thing. So do a better job than your pastor. Uh, and know that united we stand, divided we fall. If you're weary of division, know that Jesus came to bind us up, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to bring us unity. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.